Baby, it's cold outside. That sentiment is not just part of a kind of a rapey Christmas song, but a fact brought about by the round earth, round, orbiting the sun in the way that it does and tilting on its axis. To mangle the phrase, winter has come. And with winter comes ice and snow, at least in the latitudes closer to the poles. And even here in this brittle, transparent, crystalline solid, usually water, you can snow shovel up some conspiracy theories. We'll look at nature used as an insult, snow that burns, myths about ice ages that are coming or never have happened, and mysteries in the far south in Antarctica, including Nazis and giant-headed beings. You leave the world behind and enter a large chamber, filled with boxes and crates as far as the eye can see. Welcome to The Conspiracy Clearinghouse. The podcast that takes a rather skeptical look at conspiracies and mysteries. Each episode will examine various conspiracy theories, most of which are not true, a few of which might be a little bit true, and even a couple that turned out, in fact, to be true. There are many boxes in the clearinghouse, and along the way, we'll look at some mysteries and hoaxes as well. We dare to look behind the curtain that's behind the curtain. I'm your host, Derek DeWitt. Welcome to the Conspiracy Clearinghouse. Ice, 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 baby. baby. When water is heated to 100 degrees Celsius at sea level, it boils and turns into a vapor, or the gaseous form of H2O. When it is cooled to 0 degrees Celsius at one atmosphere of pressure, it enters another phase transition and freezes into a solid generally known as ice. Unlike many other liquids, water becomes less dense when it freezes. It also expands to take up another 9% of the volume it occupied in its liquid form. But not all ice is the same. Ice on the planet's surface generally becomes known as something called Ice Phase 1, written Ice 1H, where the crystals that form are hexagonal with an oxygen atom on each vertex, and the angles formed in the crystalline lattice are tetrahedral at 109.5 degrees. If ice phase 1 is frozen even further, to minus 211 degrees Celsius, it expands even further than it did before in what's called negative thermal expansion. There are other kinds of ice, however. Ice 1C forms cubic crystals, and other forms can occur at even higher pressures. Ice 3 has a structure made of tetragons, and Ice 9 is a metastable form of solid water, also tetragons, and it is denser than common ice. Now, I say Ice 9 for you readers out there. This will bring to mind Kurt Vonnegut Jr.'s Hugo-nominated book, Cat's Cradle. In this 1963 satirical novel, Ice 9 is a form of water that remains solid at room temperature and which turns normal water into Ice 9 upon contact. As such, it is a gravely dangerous substance that could solidify all liquid water on Earth, thus killing off all life. 
For example, when a man in the book swallows a piece of it, all the water in his body, which is about 70% of the total volume, instantly solidifies and he dies. And if any of that fell into the oceans, well, you can imagine. Could such a thing actually happen? Probably not. There is something called ghost ice, designed by a bartender who thought it would be cool to have ice that was completely clear and transparent like glass. He also designed new and improved flexible ice trays, and then there's a whole freezing system in which the water freezes from the top down, much like what happens on the surface of a lake in Vermont to the winter, for example. This pushes impurities down to the very bottom, leaving a bunch of very clear ice with a tiny bit of cloudy, dirty ice at the bottom, which can then easily be removed. Pretty cool, huh? <laughs> you see what I did there? But probably not a danger to life on Earth as we know it. Snowball fight. Snow is when teeny tiny ice crystals form in the atmosphere when supercooled water droplets collect around even tinier particles and then fall to the planet's surface. A snowflake is a single instance of these crystals after it has fallen through the atmosphere. The patterns they form can be incredibly complex and have been categorized into eight general categories and 80 individual variants. Does this mean that every single snowflake is different from all the others? Probably not, but with the number of variations available and how short-lived they generally are, we can say that for practical purposes, yes, each snowflake is unique. Snow is somewhat important for those of us who live where it routinely falls. We sure spend a lot of time talking about it. In recent years, local news services in the U.S. love to go on about snowpocalypse and snowmageddon and even snowzilla to describe the harsh winter blizzards afflicting large sections of that country as a result of the weather system being out of whack. Eskimos have a hundred words for snow, according to folk wisdom. I mean, makes sense. They have so much of it, right? Actually, Eskimo Alouette languages have about the same number of snowy words as English does. It's hard to properly research this because what do we actually mean by saying that a language has a certain number of words for snow, plus define what an Eskimo is, and blah, blah, blah. Nonetheless, several studies settle on around 40 to 50 headwords in Inuit Yupik languages, about 180 in Sami, those are the native people in the north of Finland and Norway, only 25 in Swedish, 46 in Icelandic, but the winner with a whopping 421 words for different kinds of snow seems to be Scots, which is a mixture of Scottish Gaelic and English. The whole Eskimos having 50 or 100 words for snow thing has lent itself to the creation of a new word coined in 2005 called a snow clone, a term for a cliché phrasal template. Other examples of snow clones include, in space, no one can hear you, X. This comes from the tagline for the 1979 science fiction horror film Alien, which was, in space, no one can hear you scream. Another is, X is the new Y, as in, red is the new black. Probably started as a misquote of something Diana Vreeland, editor-in-chief for Vogue, said back in 1962 that pink is the navy blue of India. I think she was talking about how frequently it's worn. Another is to X or not to X, which comes from Hamlet's famous to be or not to be line. Have X will travel. Many people think this comes from the 1957 Western TV show Have Gun Will Travel, but that TV show actually got its title from a 1954 memoir that Bob Hope wrote called Have Tux Will Travel. So that's probably the origin. 
and Xing while Y, as in driving while black or flying while Muslim. This snow clone probably comes from the crime that is worded as driving while intoxicated in many states. The word snowflake has also been used as a snarl word. Today it's used to insult left-leaning young people by alt-right people, the idea being that those lefties all think that they're all such delicate, unique snowflakes, but really they aren't and they should just shut up because no, they're not special, they're just normal. Many commentators a few years ago called the millennials the snowflake generation, something that they very much did not appreciate since it was clearly meant as an insult and also not something that they were going around saying about themselves in the first place. Back in the 1860s, people in the United States who wanted to keep slavery were called snowflakes because they were so white and white-centric, wishing to maintain the white dominant power structure and status quo in the American South. And that's what snowflake meant for a very long time. Then in 1996, the novel Fight Club came out, with the film following three years later, and the main character there uses it as an insult leveled at people who think they are unique and special. Some alt-writers, always on the lookout for a way to shift attention from America's racist roots, took it up and leveled it at millennials and Gen Zers, or Zoomers, thus shifting it from an insult against conservatives to one being used by conservatives. The word really became popular around the 2016 presidential election, and today it's a dead giveaway word. Whenever you see somebody using it in their Facebook comments or other social media, you kind of know where they stand on a number of issues. It's also often used by homophobes and misogynists. But there have been some liberal attempts to kind of take it back from the right. George Takai, who played Sulu on the original Star Trek, tweeted in 2017 that, quote, The thing about snowflakes is this. They're beautiful and unique, but in large numbers become an unstoppable avalanche that will bury you. Some comedians referred to Donald Trump as the biggest snowflake in America due to his famously thin skin regarding insults about him. And in 2017, the Guardian newspaper in Great Britain called him the snowflake-in-chief, while that same year CNN called him President Snowflake. After that, we started seeing the word snowflake start to peter out from the alt-right. A related term showed up around 2019, broflake. This is a man who is readily upset or offended by progressive attitudes that conflict with his more conventional or conservative views, according to the Oxford Online Dictionary. What a, what snow, a snow job. job. There's a quite good 2004 science fiction novel by Adam Roberts called The Snow, in which it snows and snows and snows until the entire Earth is covered in a layer of snowpack and ice literally miles thick. I mean, that would be quite a difficult situation to be in, as survivors on the surface having to tunnel through miles and miles of compacted snow and ice to retrieve buried supplies. But what if that snow wasn't even real, real snow? snow. People in Texas were taken unawares by a massive snowstorm named Yuri, coupled with rolling blackouts to preserve the power grid, knocking out power and thus drinking water and heat to 4.3 million homes in the state, and which resulted in 58 deaths. Videos started cropping up on YouTube, Twitter, TikTok, and Telegram, seeming to show people lighting the snow that blanketed everything in sight on fire. Why? This wasn't real snow. It was fake snow created by the government and or Bill Gates and or pedophiles and or human traffickers and or the deep state and or celebrities and then dropped on Texas in order to 
in order to make people quite uncomfortable? Yes, Biden and Gates got together and blocked out the sun or altered the jet stream and then dropped a bunch of synthetic snow on Texans as part of a climate change experiment and a planned attack, according to one Telegram account that claims to belong to retired Air Force General and conspiracy wingnut Thomas McKierney, but which actually does not. A lot of this seemed to start with Scott Biddle, author of Coronavirus COVID-19 Lockdown USA and I Am 333, The Chosen One, You Are Here for a Reason. There's a title. A man who claims to be, quote, a modern-day prophet born August 21st on the great sign of heaven, whatever the hell that means. He noted that just a couple of months before this snow, Biden had talked about the COVID-19 pandemic and said, we're still facing a very dark winter. Well, clearly, says Biddle, that was not a reference to the 10 million COVID cases in the U.S. back in November 2020, but a signal that he would collude with others to create a fake snowstorm in Texas in February a few months later. But why Texas? Why? Because they have a power grid that's independent from the other two national power grids in the United States. And even though that's been true since around 1970, apparently Biden and the evil deep state just noticed. In actuality, Winter Storm Uri was caused by a polar vortex, a low-pressure area hanging around the North Pole, which brings in very cold air from northern Canada, shoots it into the jet stream, which then distributes that cold air far and wide, like as far south as Texas, where people reported seeing water fountains and even ceiling fans freeze solid. You remember all this. This is when Ted Cruz decided he'd escape by heading to Cancun, and then when he was caught and mocked by the press and the public, he blamed his daughters because he is such a class act. Then for some reason, someone got it in their head to light the snow on fire, and it seemed to burn. This proved that it is not real snow. I mean, snow is made of water, and water, uh, duh, doesn't burn. So, uh, therefore, it's fake. Others tried to explain it. No, no, it's something called sublimation, which is when a solid goes directly to a gaseous state without first going through an intervening liquid phase. This is what happens with dry ice, for example. But this is probably not what's actually going on with this Texas 2021 snow. What's happening is actually a combination of things. First off, people are using butane lighters, and it is the butane that is burning, not the snow. The snow doesn't drip, as one might expect, because the snow, which is porous, absorbs the meltwater that is formed and becomes slushier and slushier. The black scorch marks on the snowballs are actually the hydrocarbon molecules that make up butane, which are carbon and hydrogen. These react with oxygen in the air, break the molecular bonds, and form new molecules. And some of those new molecules are very long-chain carbon molecules, which collect on the surface of the slushy snowball. People making these videos, had they just conducted their little experiment for a longer period of time, would have seen the snow actually melt in a more expected way, but then they wouldn't be able to freak out at Bill Gates or whoever they have a weird particular hatred for. So instead, they got a few seconds of the butane process and then go, see, it's, it's fake. fake. The funny thing is all of this early 2021 hubbub was actually just a repeat of something that had happened back in 2014 when Atlanta, Georgia got hit with a freak snowstorm and people thought that they could light that snow on fire as well. 
and experts explained what was actually happening. And then people went, oh, wow, that's crazy. And then that was that. And then they forgot all about it again until 2021. And then they freaked out as if it was brand new. Oh, that's right. And in 2018, there were also videos going up of people supposedly burning snow, claiming that this snow had little bits of plastic in it. Again, none of this was true. So I predict that in another couple of years, we will see a repeat of the burning snow trope. Back then, as with the more recent repetition of this, people blamed whatever their particular bugbear was. Chemtrails, nanobots, chemicals that make people sterile. It's all an attempt to make Texans believe climate change is real, whatever. But it really is real snow. It really is, really. Reuters has an excellent article about all this with links to many other articles and papers. Check the episode notes. The cold sun. Well, even if all that scientific mumbo-jumbo is true, climate change still isn't real, so say the diehards. You know all those graphs NASA and other government agencies produce that show increasing temperatures? Well, they're all lies. Or maybe they aren't lies exactly, but the increases they show are not from fossil fuels dumping carbon into the atmosphere. It's from something else, like uh, insects. Yes, some people say insects. Or uh, at the Earth's core, there's a nuclear reaction going on, and that's what's causing it. Or Antarctic ice is melting because now there are humans hanging around on it, and their body heat is warming up the ice and causing it to melt. Or if you are Fritz Varenholt and Sebastian Luning, who used to work for the German company RWE, the single largest CO2 emitter in that country, you come up with a theory called The Cold Sun, Die Kalte Zone, which they published as a book in 2012 and then followed up in 2015 with The Neglected Sun, Why the Sun Precludes Climate Catastrophe. While running a marathon on holiday in New York City, Looning's eye was caught by a window display in a bookshop for a book by Siegfried Fred Singer and Dennis Avery titled Unstoppable Global Warming Every 1500 Years. He went back, bought it, read it, and was astonished to learn that maybe global warming isn't actually happening, the higher temperatures being measured are occurring because people live in cities, or if it is occurring, it's because Earth's temperature rises and falls in rather predictable 1,500-year cycles due to solar cycles. Wow! This blew Luning's mind, and he shared it with his friend and fellow corporate mouthpiece, Fritz Varenholt, and they basically took that book by Singer and Avery and expanded it, and this resulted in the cold sun hypothesis. Of course, they're all just wrong, plain wrong, pushing a pro-business agenda with very few citations and super incomplete data sets. Looning of Varenholt, cherry-pick their data, ignoring parts that don't fit in with their thrust, but worry not, people, because they show that the Earth is actually in a cooling phase right now and that temperatures will go down by 0.2 or 0.3 degrees Celsius by the year 2035. They said this in 2012, and since then, the Earth has actually increased in average temperature by nearly 0.4 degrees Celsius, so I'd say they missed the mark. Why the discrepancy? Oh, well, they have an explanation. That's because those official measurements are lies. 
The whole man-made climate change idea is a lie designed to create jobs for short-term political gain and eventually to enact a series of laws that will reduce individual freedoms of citizens in all countries in something like a super slow-motion autocratic takeover. They must imagine the evildoers behind the scenes are like, I don't want to be dictator of the whole world myself, but I want my great-great-great-grandson or maybe granddaughter. Hey, I'm equal, you know. I want that person to be dictator. They clearly do not understand the mindset of the power-hungry who are very much about themselves in the here and now. Ice ages ages now now and then. Ice ages are certainly part of the climate cycle of our planet. In fact, some scientists argue that Earth is actually, normally, a pretty cold planet punctuated by periods of warmth, like the one we're in now, the one that allowed for our species to evolve. But a new ice age is always a looming threat for some people, like when Kathleen McFarland, who goes by KT, handed at the time President Trump a one-sheet that said Time Magazine had printed a cover story back in the 1970s that predicted a new ice age coming soon, and so therefore, no work on mitigating climate change needed to be done. In fact, thank God we have dumped so much carbon into the atmosphere because that will make the ice age less severe. This is what's known as the Ice Age Fallacy, a pseudoscience notion that comes from some reports in the 1970s that have subsequently turned out to be very wrong indeed. Now, the problem is that that Time Magazine cover that she showed Trump was totally faked. There had never been such a cover. It was actually part of an internet fake news meme that had been floating around for a number of years. I suppose it's possible that McFarland, like the snowflake-in-chief, is unable to distinguish between real and fake things on the internet, or maybe she just knew that Trump seems to be unable to make that distinction. So, she mixed in this fake news with an actual cover story from the April 3, 2006 issue of Time about global warming, showing a polar bear forlornly standing on a tiny patch of floating ice, and the headline, Be Worried, Be Very Worried. See, she was saying, even the gang at Time Magazine knows about the coming Ice Age, but they've changed their tune and are lying to promote the liberal climate change agenda. People who were in the room report that Mr. Trump went kind of crazy all about it, fuming about the media and its lying liars. This was just in the first four months of his presidency, and some insiders think that this incident may have been instrumental in his withdrawing the United States from the Paris Agreement in June that year. Maybe that was a manipulation done on purpose to get Trump to do something that they wanted, or maybe it was an actual mistake born out of partisanship and a lack of digital media literacy. Nonetheless, it had real-world consequences. Sometimes ideas just pop into someone's head and then they just believe them because they feel like insight. Take Robert Felix, a veritable one-man pseudoscience theory-making machine. He likes to focus on the shifting of the Earth's magnetic poles, which he believes happens from time to time and is the cause of ice ages. His book, Ice Age Now, is all about how one such shift is just around the corner, so you should build a bunker and stock up on food and guns, and the governments of the world are covering up the knowledge that the Ice Age is coming with all of these global warming lies. Why are they doing that? Well, because they're evil, and they like to see most of the population wiped out as part of a giant population control experiment. New World Order, blah, blah, blah. 
Part of his proof is exhaustively listing every single snowstorm that has occurred in the past several decades as proof that the Ice Age is coming, even though if these are caused by a sudden polar shift, why would it be so gradual? But logic is not Mr. Felix's strong suit. Also, he says, 555 of the 625 glaciers on Earth are not in fact shrinking, but actually getting larger. This is demonstrably untrue. He also says one thing that has happened in the past and will happen again is the magnetic pole shift will cause cryovolcanoes. These shoot out water and methane and ammonia when they erupt, cooling their surroundings and the atmosphere. Instead of lava flows, you have a kind of a viscous ice flow. Cryovolcanoes really do exist. On Enceladus, the sixth moon of Saturn, as well as Titan, another moon of Saturn, and Ceres, a dwarf planet between Mars and Jupiter, the largest object in the asteroid belt. They may also exist on Charon, which is considered to be a moon to Pluto, but they do not exist here on Earth. Mr. Felix is still active today in the conspiracy, but there have been climate cranks in the past as well. Take a look at Hans Hofbiger, an Austrian who lived from 1860 to 1931. He looked at the moon through a telescope and thought, Wow, that sure is bright. That must be because it is made of ice, yeah? This led him down a twisting thought path, including a series of revelatory dreams that he calls recognitions that culminated in his world ice theory, or Welteislehe. You see, he says, there was once a star that died, but got impregnated somehow with water, and then that wet, dead star fell into a supergiant star. The water became superheated and sprayed out all into the cosmos, where it once again cooled, forming massive chunks of ice. When you look up at the night sky, all those twinkling lights you see are actually giant slabs of ice, not stars. The ice blobs coalesced sometimes thanks to gravity and to planets in various solar systems, such as our own. The more ice chunks that smash together, the bigger the planet. What we think are meteors are actually just sun rays bouncing off the ice in space. Hailstorms occur when free-floating ice blocks burn up in our atmosphere. Sunspots are when one of these ice blocks hits the sun, getting blasted into a fine snowy powder that then very finely coats all of the inner planets, and that is where snow comes from. He also says Earth used to have a whole bunch of different ice moons, but over time they smashed into our world. The one before our current moon smashed into the Earth after Homo sapiens sapiens had evolved, and that cataclysm gave rise to various legends of battles between the gods, dragons, apocalyptic events, and so on. Its impact also caused huge floods everywhere, which is where all those flood stories come from. Then, sometime after the events recounted in the book of Genesis, which would be somewhere around the year 1000 BCE, give or take, our current ice moon was captured by the ice Earth's gravity. This event caused the continent of Atlantis to sink beneath the waves, and this celestial body will also spiral in one day, crashing into our world. Because you can clearly see that it is slowly moving closer and closer to the Earth. Except that it isn't. As we mentioned in a previous episode with interesting facts about the moon, it is moving away from the Earth about 3.8 centimeters per year. When things like this and some of the numerous other errors in his world ice theory were pointed out to him, Mr. Hobbiger said, calculation can only lead you astray. Hmm, 
He batted away criticism with vague threats, once saying, either you believe in me and learn or you will be treated as the enemy. He sounds a little bit like Dwight Schrute on the American version of The Office. Yet it should come as no surprise that in 1931, a bunch of true believers in the world ice theory created the organization WEL, or W-E-L, and that many of these founding members were Nazis. Yes, Nazis. They said the Earth was much, much cooler in the past because of ice chunks smashing into it. This is the cause of the Ice Ages. The Nordic people grew strong, combating the cold, while the weaker, earlier forms of humans, like the Jews, who lived in warmer climates, needed to be put into their place under the heel of the descendants of the mighty Nordic Aryans. They even went further, saying that Hitler had proven that, quote, how much a so-called amateur can be superior to self-styled professionals. <laughs> this sentiment explains a lot about the psychology of the Mark Dices and Alex Joneses of the world. WEL and the world ice theory became so intertwined with upper-level Nazis, in fact, that the organization got folded into the propaganda ministry. And then World War II happened, and they lost, and then WEL seemed to drop out of sight. Baby, this is called Drausen. Perhaps they fled to colder climes to wait until their hour could come round at last, like to New Swabia or Neuschwabenland. This is a mysterious Nazi base in Antarctica that has been the breeding ground for many a notion for those so inclined. Okay, here's what's known for sure. A ship called the MS Schwabenland set sail for Queen Maudland, a huge swath of the southernmost continent claimed by Norway back in January of 1939. But in an effort to protect the German whaling industry, this German ship set sail for this very same area in December 38, just before Norway made their official claim. But they arrived in April 39 after Norway had already said it was theirs. But there's something like a million square miles in the area, that's like 2.7 million square kilometers, and the Germans surveyed about 600,000 kilometers of it and informally claimed it as their own. At one point, flying two flying boats that they brought with them over the land and dropping dozens of flags out the windows, saying, there, now we've claimed it. And they named the area after the ship, Schwabenland. After the German part of World War II was over, their claim on this land was abandoned and no structures were ever built there. Now, there had been a little bit of action during the war down at the South Pole, but really this was the British. In February 1944, a contingent of British personnel occupied a section of land near Point Lockroy. As part of a dispute over this section of the frozen continent, they'd been having with Argentina and Chile since the 1920s. This was the real purpose of Operation Tabarin, which is what this thing was called, though the cover story they used was that they were trying to gather information about German shipping and U-boat activity in the area. After the war was over, the U.S. conducted Operation High Jump, the largest group of humans to ever head to the southern continent, 4,700 men and over 60 airplanes and ships. The idea was to train for extreme cold weather fighting while being distant from potential antagonists like the Soviet Union. Scientific studies were also conducted in geology, hydrology, and electromagnetism. The next year, Operation Windmill was launched by the United States, which was basically a smaller version of the same thing. So that's what we know for sure. But there are people like Ernst Christoph Friedrich Zundel, 
a man who, despite not being born until 1939, was an avowed Nazi. He wrote the pamphlet, The Hitler We Loved and Why, and he was a Holocaust denier who, among his rantings, including being a promoter of the hollow earth theory, see our previous episode about that, he also got heavily into UFOs in the 1970s, writing a book called UFOs, Nazi Secret Weapon? Question mark, as well as various pamphlets like Secret Nazi Polar Expeditions and Hitler at the South Pole. He started promoting the idea that what we call UFOs are actually secret Nazi craft that use super advanced technology, because the Nazis were so smart, built in secret bases in Neuschwabia, or Neuschwabenland, in Antarctica. Also, Hitler did not commit suicide in Berlin, but instead faked that and fled to one of the secret bases down here at the South Pole, which, by the way, are built over entrances into the hollow earth as part of a very clever plot to fool the Jews into thinking that they had won while the Nazis continued their machinations behind the scenes. Though here we are in 2021, and you have to wonder what on earth they're waiting for. Some of his proof is that on July 10, 1945, after the war in Europe had ended, German U-boat U-530 showed up at the Mar de Plata naval base in Argentina. Several Nazi and Nazi sympathizers in hiding got excited, like Hungarian Nazi on the lamb Ladislaus Sabo, who wrote for a Buenos Aires newspaper that Hitler, Eva Braun, Martin Bormann, and other Nazi luminaries had escaped Europe and were on that U-boat, number 530. The story got picked up by papers around the world, and now that nonsense theory was floating around out there in the conspiracy, bolstered by the arrival of another U-boat, U-977, on August 17th. Local authorities interrogated the crews of both submarines, determined they were simply trying to escape repercussions for being on the losing side of the war, and let them go. But Sabo wasn't having any of it. In 1947, he published the book, Hitler is Alive, which says that the stop in Argentina was en route to a secret Antarctic base that he says is actually called New Berchtesgaden and had been built back during that initial 1939 surveying expedition. It is quite certain that Mr. Ernst Zundel took a page out of Sasbo's book. Later, Zundel told a member of the Skeptic Society that his book, UFOs, Nazi Secret Weapon, was totally a work of fiction designed to entertain North Americans and allow him to get into radio and TV interviews where he could then talk about what he really wanted to talk about, which was that the Holocaust is a Jewish lie. But plenty of people took the whole thing at face value, inspiring nut jobs for decades. Operations Tabarin, High Jump, and Windmill would get roped into a vast conspiracy theory about a covert part of World War II in which the Allies and the Nazis were fighting it out in Antarctica to control UFO technology and or the entrances to the warm hollow earth or evidence of alien visitors, or whatever. The Ends, the ends of the, of the Earth, Earth. Antarctica is interesting enough in its own without needing wild conjectures and conspiracy theories. It's a place of contradictions. Yes, it's cold, very cold. It is the windiest continent on the planet and also has the highest elevation. And yet it is also the driest continent on the planet, making it, in fact, a desert. Despite this, it contains 70% of the world's fresh water locked up in frozen form. It also has 90% of the world's freshwater ice. It is frozen and yet also strangely dynamic. The whole continent is about one and a half times the size of the United States with two main ice sheets up to three miles thick. That's four kilometers. 
Yet under that ice, it's a whole nother world. Like there are mountains. Yes, an entire mountain range, 750 miles long, 1,200 kilometers, now called the Gambertseb Mountains, was found completely buried under the ice. Some of the peaks reach up to 9,000 feet above sea level and yet still are 100% buried. They've also found a series of subglacial lakes, including a massive freshwater lake two and a half miles beneath the ice, that's seven kilometers, known as Lake Vostok. It's about the size of Lake Ontario in North America. This is the largest of the subglacial lakes discovered under the Antarctic ice sheets. Probably this is caused by heat radiating up from the Earth's core, melting the bottom of the ice sheet, and then the ice acts kind of like an insulation, which keeps the water liquid. And in that lake, there are living microbes seen nowhere else on Earth. In fact, it turns out there's bacteria living in the ice sheets themselves because the ice actually has teeny, teeny, tiny little veins of water running through it. That water contains nutrients and the bacteria feed off those nutrients. When scientists drill ice core samples and then melt them, the bacteria are freed and grow. Even the waters around Antarctica are full of offbeat life, like sea stars, burrowing sea urchins, fish that have evolved a sort of natural antifreeze in their body, over 5 million tons of Antarctic krill that swarm together and turn the water a shade of red, jellyfish with tendrils 16 feet long, that's 5 meters, sea spiders a foot across, 35 centimeters, and a creature called the colossal squid, one of the largest invertebrates anywhere, growing up to 46 feet, 14 meters long. There's also the long-lived glass sea sponge, which is estimated to live for as long as 15,000 years. There's even weird kelp there called bull kelp, the strongest kelp in the world. It can grow 60 centimeters, that's two feet in a single day. The surface of the frozen continent is also one of the main sources for Mars rocks, which fly through space after meteor impacts with the red planet and land there where their dark color stands out against the white background. The southernmost continent is a vast and foreboding land that can certainly inspire imaginative musings. Weird fiction writer H.P. Lovecraft wrote his short novel At the Mountains of Madness about the ruins of an ancient city once inhabited by a space-faring race of giant vegetables that created the human race but then had to flee Earth when another creation of theirs, the blob-like Shuggoths, escaped their slave conditions and rose up against their masters. This all lies behind a mountain range taller than the Himalayas, which we now know doesn't exist, but back in 1936 when he wrote the book, maybe it could have existed. Actually, some people say that, in fact, there is such a mountain range running through the center of the continent, and it is filled with cities built by aliens and blah, blah, blah. You get the picture that somehow H.P. Lovecraft, a constantly short of money writer of weird fiction based out of Providence, Rhode Island, somehow had access to this huge secret, but then hid that information in a short horror novel. Which is, by the way, an excellent read. I highly suggest it. Movie director Guillermo del Toro has been wanting to make a movie out of it for years. Check the episode notes for a link to what's known as a proof-of-concept trailer or pitch trailer for that project. There's a German research station down there called Neumeyer Station. It has three webcams that take pictures every 10 minutes and then a whole day's worth, 144 snaps and all, are put into a sort of a movie version available on the web each day. Many conspiracy folks watch this video very closely. 
Some do this because there are conspiracy theories about Planet X or Nibiru, a supposed hidden planet that enters the inner solar system every 4,000 or some large number of years and wrecks havoc and also might be the home of the Anunnaki who created humans as a slave race and who are behind Project Bluebeam. All of this is in previous episodes. Anyway, Nibiru or Planet X supposedly can only be seen from the South Pole, so some people are keeping an eagle-eyed lookout for that. On June 11, 2011, a bright object was caught on camera, which many of the Nibiru people thought was, aha, proof that A, Nibiru is real, look, there it is, and B, it's heading towards us, probably to cause unheard of destruction in December 2012, which some folks thought was predicted by the Mayan calendar, and we'll talk about that in a future episode. Well, it sure is taking its time to get here since it's 2021 and we're all still here. There's a great page on the website CoolAntarctica.com that shows a bunch of sites down there that people speculate about. A supposed hole to the hollow earth at the center of the continent. A supposed wall that surrounds said hole. Bases for Nazis or UFOs or Nazi UFOs. A secret tropical valley hidden from the public by Google and the governments and where dinosaurs may still live. Pyramids built by ancient advanced races, maybe aliens, and yes, they look like snow-covered mountains, but they're not. They're pyramids. Also, weird compass readings at the tip of the Antarctic Peninsula, which is where most people land since it's the closest bit to South America. This is the result of intentional misdirection so people can't find all the secrets. And there's a giant wooden wall on the peninsula that's painted to look like what we think Antarctica looks like, but actually hides what Antarctica really looks like. And then there's my favorite, a connection to Easter Island. So once there was a race of giant beings with very, very large heads. Millennia ago, Antarctica was actually a wet tropical rainforest. Uh, this is, in fact, true. During the Cretaceous period, about 145 to 106 million years ago, there was a crap load more carbon dioxide in the atmosphere, and the world had heated up to become extremely hot all over. So Antarctica was actually kind of tropical. But something happened, and the climate changed, and it started cooling off. And so some of these big-headed creatures decided to explore north, up by the equator, where things might remain nice and balmy. They ended up on what we now call Easter Island, but these beings were so heavy that when they disembarked from their vessel, they sank into the ground, and a weird bacteria native to the island interacted in interesting ways with their physiology and turned them into stone. stone. So, the Moai of Easter Island are not carvings by the Rapa Nui people, but actual petrified ancient beings. Somehow, word about this tragedy got back to the folks living in the south, that there's this terrible petrifying bacteria that will kill them all if they ever leave their high-elevation homeland, where the bacteria can't survive. And so, instead of leaving, they adapted to the cold, and they are still there to this day, living in a very advanced society that might even secretly be using or guiding human civilization. And, oh boy, that's good stuff. Now, this whole page has been compiled by Paul Ward, who runs the Cool Antarctica website. The article then goes on to look at a number of things that have been spotted by people who have Google Earth and have a bunch of free time, like... 
the ruins of a castle first seen in 2017. This castle is of a type that was unique to Europe between the 10th and 13th centuries. In truth, this is probably a frozen over pond or small lake with unusual ice formations. A buried UFO seen in 2018. It's actually a German research station called Konen Station, which resupplies the aforementioned Neumayer Station twice a year. The wreck of a UFO, that's actually a pool of meltwater and a whole bunch of other supposed UFOs. The skeleton of a giant monster, which is actually the rather small skeleton of a mummified seal. Mummified because Antarctica is, despite being cold, a dry desert. A supposed giant 400-foot-long ship listed over onto its sign seen in August 2020 by user Mr. MBB333. That's actually an iceberg. And an alien base along the coast that is also actually an iceberg that recently tipped over. And on and on it goes. I highly suggest reading the whole webpage. Link in the episode notes. That thing about the Easter Island... Big heads getting petrified is, I'm pretty sure, is something that Mr. Ward just made up to be funny. Hashtag, Hashtag fake Some other people believe that the whole idea of Antarctica is, in fact, a fiction. There's no continent there. It's just a giant wall, 150 feet high, 45 meters, punctuated by the occasional mountain and guided by an elite force of Captain America-like super soldiers. Part of the proof of this is the flag of the United Nations, which shows the North Pole, but not the South Pole. <laughs> wow. wow. Seems like a pretty dumb oversight if they really want to keep this all secret, huh? Stupid, Stupid New, New World, World Order. So yes, Virginia, not even snow and ice are exempt from the windings and musings of the conspiracy. Misguided types with more ambition than sense delve into the murky depths of pseudoscience to make all sorts of claims, and various disaffected and unscrupulous types lap it up in their efforts to make coherent sense of a world that inherently has no sense except what we put into it. As one of the first folks to make listening to rap music comfortable for white people, Vanilla Ice put it, Ice, ice, baby. Collaborate and listen. I'm killing your brain like a poisonous mushroom. Okay, a poet he ain't, but it works. Thank you for visiting The Conspiracy Clearinghouse. We're closing now, but we'll open another crate in the next episode. Until then, thank you for listening.